back to the program before we get top of the hour. Gary Galley stops by. We'll talk about Luke Richardson becoming the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. The Galleys and the Richardsons very close. Uh, very tight-knit group right there. Um, very few families. So we'll talk to Gary. And we'll talk, of course, to Gary about their Stanley Cup final, which was uh, excellent. It's all uh, the playoffs in general. I mean, I've always used 1987 as the bar. Um, this was in 87, but it was pretty close. We saw some fantastic hockey. Uh, some really exciting games, and at the end of all of it, the right team won. What an impressive display that was by the Colorado Avalanche and someone who's been there to document all of it right from the get-go, from the first skates getting tied at training camp to the Stanley Cup getting dented uh, in the photo is Peter Baugh from The Athletic, and he joins me now. Peter, how are you today? Hey, I'm well, Jeff. A little tired, but all good. Okay, come clean with me here. Did you sleep at all or you just booze all the way through? I slept, so I'm back in Denver. I slept wow, a couple okay. hours. Uh, yeah, I had an early flight, and I slept a couple hours on the flight. Um, but other than that, I have not. I have not had any non-clean sleep. <laughs> have you? Uh, have you opened the drapes? Have you gone outside? Have you? Have you looked around? What's the? Uh, what's What's the vibe in Denver? I saw a lot of Av jerseys at the airport when I got to town. Um, when I got in, though, I immediately just got a few donuts that I absolutely didn't need to eat and then <laughs> ate those and <laughs> went straight home. <laughs> I can't blame you. You know, there was, um, you know, I, I was mentioning off the top of the show, you know, people that you feel happy for, you know, longtime people that have been with the Avalanche. And we think of Eric Johnson and we think of Gabriel Landeskog and we think of Nathan McKinnon. You know, you think of the players that people like Greg Sherman brought in and, you know, one of the people that I um, think about who's not there to take part in it is Al Heppel, uh, longtime director of amateur scouting, who brought in Landis Gog and McKinnon and Rantanen and, and Kale McCarr, et cetera. You know, was probably the, the main reason why Arizona went with um, the Colorado offer instead of the Edmonton offer um, for, for Darcy Kemper. Um, so I think of him, even though he's not going to get a ring, you know, a lot of the foundation of, of what happened uh, culminating in last night's win was was laid by by Al Heppel. Um, who did you think of? Like after like after your your work was done, like you did a great job documenting all of this, and you have all season long. But you know, you're getting on the flight. You know, you close your laptop. Who are you thinking about last night? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of people. I think that the the moment. The Eric Johnson and Nathan McKinnon tackling each other away from the main celebration is one that will stick with me. Yeah. Um, just these two guys who have been been through a lot together and have been on the team. And just that, that moment that they were able to share um, was really special. I, I thought a lot about Bowen Byram, um, just what he's been through this year with his, his concussions. I know, obviously, he's not... Um, He's nowhere near the longest tenured Avalanche player or anything like that. But I just think that he's he's been through a lot, and to see him kind of have this, I mean, he kind of let the world know how good he was this series. And I, I think that for him to have that moment was really cool to see. So you think of all those guys. You think of Jared Bednar and, and a lot of the guys who helped build this team, even beyond Joe Sackick, the the analytics guys, Eric Parnas, the Chris McFarlane, I think played an instr- instrumental role as assistant GM. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people who deserve a lot of credit, and and it's funny you mentioned Al Heppel, but I 
I kind of was thinking about some of those players who laid the groundwork who weren't there to see it cross the finish line, the mm-hmm. Tyson Joes, the Matt Calverts, the Ryan Graves, those type people. So I, I thought about all those folks, and, and it's it's pretty special, maybe a little bittersweet with, with some of those people not getting to experience it, but it, it's cool seeing them get to this point. You know, we've uh, we've talked plenty, uh, this program, the podcast, wherever, about Kale McCarr. And the one thing, listen, the Norris, the Stanley Cup, the Conn Smythe, you know, I think the one thing that has become really evident really quickly about Kale McCarr is that he is flat out one of the best players in the league. Like, not one of the best defensemen in the league, one of the best players in the league, period. Your thoughts on Kale McCarr? Yeah, well, a delirious airport thought I had this morning, which this this should be. I haven't. This is the first time I've spoken it, so it'll sound really ridiculous now that I'm <laughs> actually saying it. But I was thinking, I was like, so if he wins a Hart Trophy in the next couple of years, which is a big if, but say he does it, what if he just tries a, hang to on, win? Hang on, I don't. I don't think it's a big if. It might be an if. Yeah, I don't it's think an it's if. a big it's if. An if. It's an if. Yeah, it's an if. It's an if. But I was. I was thinking. I was like. What if he just tries to win every single trophy? Like, what if he switches to forward for a year and wins a selfie <laughs> just, just for fun? Just tries to go through and check off every – to see how many trophies he can win. Because he's got the Calder, yeah. he's got the Norris, he's got the Conn Smythe. I mean, this guy's he's 23 years old and, like you said, one of the best players in the world and um, truly a treat to watch night in and night out. And, I, I mean – it's the fact that he was a unanimous con Smythe selection speaks highly to him. Even if he didn't have his best game in game six, um, he just was, was so important for this avalanche team. He took on so many responsibilities and um, yeah, he's a big time player. And I think you saw a lot of these avalanche players were guys who could step up in big moments. And um, not all of them are necessary. Like Nathan McKinnon, for example, like, I think he would tell you, like, he probably wasn't thrilled with how he played in the Vegas series last year. But this year, like, when the Avs needed a goal desperately in game six, he was the one who scored it. Like, they had big-time games from big-time players, and that's what you need to win. Uh, speaking to Peter Baugh from The Athletic covering the Colorado Avalanche, um, you know, there was, um, in the bubble, watching Dallas and Tampa, you know, I've we saw... Well, first of all, we've we've seen we've seen Andrew Cogliano do a, a lot of things in this NHL. Let me let me let me give you my, my thoughts on Andrew Cogliano. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Andrew Cogliano. Um, I watched him play Tier Two with St. Mike's. Uh, amazing score, uh, blazing foot speed. Um, but I've made this point before, Peter. He's a guy that got to the NHL and said, "Okay, I can't be that guy anymore. How can I stay?" What can I do to stay in the NHL? Like every now and then, sure, I'll have like a two-goal game. Every now and then, I'll show you that I can put up points. But I'm not going to stay here if I think I'm a scorer. What else can I do? And Andrew Cogliano turned himself into one of the best two-way players in the game. Like there was a, there was a time in Anaheim where all three members of a line could have had and should have been in the conversation for the Selkie. One of them ended up winning it, and that's Ryan Kessler. The other two were Jacob Silferberg and Andrew Cogliano. And the story that I love about Cogliano is he has done everything in his ability to try to stay in the NHL, 
to adapt his game to what is successful. And a lot of guys won't change their game. This is what got me here, and I'm not going to change it, even though you know, you're saying to yourself, there's still room for you here in the NHL. You just can't play the way that you did in junior hockey. Andrew Cogliano completely changed the way he played. Now, it's easier when you can skate like Cogliano. I get that. But and seeing him last night and all series long stretch out and lay out for shots and, you know, a shot goes off his foot and he goes off and then he comes back last night and, man, his feet were moving in that third period. I'm like, this is the guy that's taken how many shots off his feet so far? It's remarkable. Um He's one of my, as, as far as like inspiring players in the game, he's right around the top of my list. And hearing you know, the interviews on the ice, how many players mentioned his name specifically. And this is a guy that came in at deadline. He hasn't been there for like yeah. five or ten years. This is a new player. Like you really, it's, it's those moments, right, Peter, where you get a sense of like how much this guy is respected amongst his peers and, and amongst his teammates. 100%. He's a, a guy I forgot to mention earlier, but you can tell how much respect the players have from him a lot of the time just by how quickly they bring him up even without prompting. And I think that says a lot about a person. Is He, he was the guy that they wanted to win for. And, I mean, I mean the, the players Joe Sackick added this deadline, like that was kind of a almost a throw-in move when it happened. It was like, a, oh, a fifth-round pick for this forward who hasn't had – Obviously, he's played a long time, but hasn't had that much production this year in San Jose. And all of a sudden, he's making huge plays in the playoffs and, I mean, really took on a big leadership role and was a voice that, that guys wanted to listen to and guys did listen to. And that, that says a lot to him, uh, to his, um, mm-hmm. I guess, nature and the respect he carries among his peers. So where are the biggest decisions? And, and how do you think this shakes out? Now, we think of Kadri. Uh, we think of Nachushkin, we think of Manson. Where do you think the big decisions... Listen, maybe we think of Joe Sackick and whether he's still going to be the general manager or does, does Chris McFarlane get the, uh, get, the, uh, get the promotion here after being you know, denied the ability to talk to other teams about a GM spot. Uh, where are the big decisions and what does this team look like next season? Yeah, well, I think the team will be very good next season. I think that it won't be quite as deep because they're are going to be part of the, the the cost of playing this well is that you have to pay players to that level. And, and now so, some of the, the time has come for some of those players. But I think that as we'll have their core together, obviously Nazem Kadri is going to be tough to keep, um, especially because he's 32. And, um, I mean, we know that Joe Sackett just from the past doesn't love giving long-term deals to guys over 30. You saw how the Lannis guy negotiations went last off season. Um, Valerian Nachushkin has earned himself a big raise. Uh, you look at a guy like Josh, there's going to be a lot of interest for him out on the market. Um, people love a big right shot defenseman. And then the one I'm really interested in is what do they do in net? I mean, Darcy Kemper, was good enough for them to win the Stanley Cup. I thought he had an excellent game last night after a bad first goal. Um, and and so they're going to have to decide how much they're they're willing to pay him and for how long. They've got Pablo Franzos for I believe two two yeah two more years at two million a year, which is good for a one B goalie that you're going to play a lot. But do they do they 
Keith Darcy Kemper or does someone else swoop in and, and pay maybe more than Colorado is willing to and then they have to go into the goalie carousel again? They're going to have decisions to make there. Uh, it is interesting. Um, I've been making the point about Jared Bednar as well. We'll end on this one. Uh, nine years as a player in the ECHL, seven years as a coach in the ECHL, 16 years of his life in the ECHL. Do you have a thought after last night on Jared Bednar? We'll end on him. Yeah, I mean, what a remarkable journey. And I thought he, I really thought he did a brilliant job coaching wise, delegating. He kind of saw how Byron was playing. And you know how coaches are. Sometimes they don't necessarily want to hand the reins over to a young person they might trust someone older more experienced but he he kind of saw what byron was doing and said all right kid you're this is we're going to trust you here and byron played big minutes you saw the way he kind of mixed and matched the top line like he he switched out who was playing with who i thought he did an excellent job all all series and honestly all postseason and he deserves a ton of credit um i think i heard you talking about on the podcast today how like a, a head coach of such a talented team might not um might not get as much credit as they're due but he i thought did an excellent job this season and that he has the respect from the players and yeah i mean the fact that he's won an echl ahl and nhl title is is pretty unreal and a lot of dedication and a lot of you can tell he loves what he does i think it was after the edmonton series he said there's a line where he said, like, if the NHL hadn't come calling, I still would be coaching in the ECHL and I wouldn't be upset about it. There's something along those lines. Pretty much saying he, yeah. he loves to coach, he loves what he does, and um, it's taken him to this point, and that speaks, speaks to his character and work ethic and coaching ability. And I think the fact that, you know, they had to drag him away from an interview to give him his Stanley Cup, the players did that, which... I don't know that I've ever yeah. seen before, Peter, but there it was. You can you can tell how the players feel about this coach. It's a, listen, special group, special coach, wonderful moment last night. Congrats to the Avs. Peter, listen, man, great job covering the Avs this year, man. You're, you were so on it on the, uh, on the Avalanche beat. It was, you know, I never missed a word. Uh, congratulations to you as well. You earned those donuts, young man. You earned those donuts. Thank you. And sorry if I said anything too ridiculous in my tired state. <laughs> it's okay. You're forgiven. But by the way, you didn't. You were great as always. Uh, Peter Baugh from The Athletic <laughs> covering off the Colorado Avalanche uh, 2022 Stanley Cup champions. Uh, we'll hit a break. Top of the hour break. And when we come back, Gary Galley from uh, the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada uh, on Luke Richardson being named the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. Ryan Worsofsky, head coach of the Chicago Wolves. Yes, we're getting AHL on you. Call the Cup champions there. Big Hour 2 is on the horizon. Hope you can stick around. More of the Merrick Show in moments. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up bottom of the hour, we'll talk about the American Hockey League and the Calder Cup champion Chicago Wolves. Ryan Worsofsky uh, will be stopping by head coach of the Chicago Wolves. Another ECHL alum, coach South Carolina Stingrays, much like Jared Bednar coached, uh, coached the South Carolina Stingrays. 
Um, so we have two ECHL coaches that have won championships in their respective leagues. Uh, the AHL and the NHL. Bednar becomes the second coach uh, to have coached in the ECHL to win the Stanley Cup. Peter Laviolette at the first uh, after coaching the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006 to a Stanley Cup victory. Um, Wheeling Nailers uh, is who Peter Laviolette coached in the ECHL. But I digress. Uh, speaking of coaches, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks making it official today, naming Luke Richardson uh, their new head coach. And we'll begin the conversation uh, with Gary Galley right there before we get into the Stanley Cup final. Gary Galley from the NHL on Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. How are you today, Gary? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I want I want to jump right in on 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 the Luke Richardson talk, and I, I want to get your thoughts on. Yes, I want to get your thoughts on Kale McCarr specifically, but I'll get your thoughts on the Avs in Tampa and the, the Stanley Cup final that we just saw. But uh, we know the Galleys and the Richardsons are very close and, and are very tight, and it was certainly uh, an emotional uh, couple of days as Chicago, you know, goes about the process of of bringing in Luke Richardson. Uh, as their new head coach. We know what's on the horizon for Chicago. We know it's going to be a lot of kids. He's a great choice um, if that's the direction they're going in. But when it became obvious to you, Gary, that your buddy Luke Richardson was getting this job, what goes through your mind? You know what? We were, um, uh, my family and I were on our way to a charity event that we do every year. And when we got the text from uh, Luke and Stephanie, and uh, there was a lot of tears in the car, a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, tears of joy and happiness. Uh, you know, we've known the Richardsons uh, a very long time and uh, spent a lot of time with them. And we know how hard Luke has worked uh, and the family. It's not just one person. And we, as we heard of many of the guys talking about last night when they were interviewed, uh, you know, it, it takes a lot of people to get to, to where you're going. And, um, and, and Luke is a guy that uh, I think really has put the time and effort in and deserves an opportunity. I think there were a few teams that were, uh, that we're going to be probably uh, interviewing him. And, and I think when Chicago finally uh, got him down there and talked to him, I think they realized what they had and, uh, and they weren't about to let it go. And, and, and that's fantastic. He's obviously super excited in the family and all his friends and, and the people in this area. I mean, I showed up at this event with my family and people were like, oh, they were just so happy to see Luke get his opportunity there's a lot of people here in ottawa felt like when he was the assistant here and he had done his time in belleville that you know that he would have an opportunity to to take over here in ottawa uh but unfortunately you know, he didn't even get an interview at that time which was very disappointing so uh, you know we i think one of the real positive things jeff is last year in the playoffs a lot of people had a chance to see luke take over for ducharme when he got covid they got a chance to see him uh, coach behind the bench, how he runs the bench, how he talks to the media, how he handles everything in a Stanley Cup finals and, and semifinal format. And I think that's a great uh, sample size to see somebody and how they handle things. And I think people were impressed with what they saw. Um, you can't talk to any Montreal Canadian defenseman uh, that doesn't have incredible things to say about, about Luke and how he delivers the message, um, how he deals with them on a daily basis. And, and helps them, uh, you know, and, and has helped them so much uh, from Weber to to uh, Sherrod and Petrie all the way down uh, Romanov. Romanov, uh, you know, it, it, it's a really good individual, real nice human being. I'm really happy for him. You know, one of the things about Luke Richardson, um, and this is part of you know what what goes into uh, to him getting hired by the Blackhawks. Like we know the road that Chicago is going down on here. Like everybody who's not named uh, Taves, Kane, or Jones. 
um, Kyle Davidson is, is, is trying to figure out the marketplace on them. Um, there's a lot of players available. We know it's going to be the youth movement in Chicago as they, they, they try to redefine this team and, and rebuild this squad. The thing about Luke Richardson, and you're a lot closer to him, obviously, than I am, and you know him both professionally and personally. The thing that I've always heard about Richardson is that he's great with kids, which is perfect for Chicago because, as you very well know, Gary, there's going to be a lot of kids in this organization very soon. You know what? Coaching these days, Jeff, as I'm sure you've you've heard this before, this is not like rocket science, but coaching back in the day when I started and, and how coaches handled players and, and how the message got delivered is very different than than today. Uh, to be a coach yep. at a high level in hockey now, you have to have people skills, incredible people skills. Um, players are different. How you handle them is different. And I think Luke played over 20 years in the National Hockey League and he's moved along and he understands uh, these kids and he understands what makes them work. In those years in Belleville, when he was coaching in Belleville, now there is a, I can't tell you how many times I've been between the benches doing a game working somewhere and somebody has skated up to me that played for Luke and said, hey, if you see Luke, please tell him I said hi and hope he's doing great. You know, and, and yeah. it's just he, connect, he connects with, these, with people and he's not going to be easy on people. Like that's, I think that's uh, something when you hear about a coach that sometimes – uh, has good people skills. You wonder if he has the firmness to be to be honest with his players and critique them. I, and Luke has that as well. It's just when he delivers the message, it's done in a very positive way. And uh, I, I think it's just uh, you know the, everything I keep hearing is that uh, it's one of the assets that he has, and 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 that's going to be great moving forward in Chicago. I think when they sat down with him over uh, the the two three days they were meeting with him, I think I think they realized that that they've got themselves somebody sitting right in front of them that has these um, incredible abilities and 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 hopefully too like i said you know i i don't know what the plan is or what's going to happen and and uh but i do feel like they also need somebody who can relate to some of the veteran guys like taze and kane you know they have to have somebody Mm -hmm. that that checks that box off too you know what i mean like it can't be just all about young guys these guys mean a lot to their organization um you know the the stanley cups that they've won and and the fact that I would think that this organization can't move forward without them. I would think that they're going to have to have a, a very solid relationship uh, with the coach as well. So, so I think uh, on all accounts, Luke is more than capable of handling all those areas. And, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, I know from talking to him, uh, you know, because he's very tight to the vest too when it comes to things and our relationship as being in the broadcasting and, and Luke being on the, in the NHL side of things is that, you know, we're friends first. Uh, you know, we don't talk business. We're together a lot. It's more family and stuff like that. So, but I, I know that he has a plan in his head for sure. And he knows exactly what he has to do in order to help the Chicago Blackhawks organization uh, get back to where they want to be. So uh, I expect uh, nothing but uh, really good things to, to, to happen there once he gets there and he starts to engage with the players. I'm sure he already has. Um, sure. But uh, I think they're going to love them. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, by the way, making this official about an hour and a half ago that uh, Luke Richardson is now the uh, official head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, Gary, you're a defenseman. Uh, what goes through your mind when you look at Kale McCarr, who, you know, what a week it was. Norris Trophy, Stanley Cup, Conn Smythe Trophy. You know, the question I've been wondering about, and Elliot and I were wondering about it on the podcast last night, I've been talking about it on the radio show here today, is Kale McCarr now in the conversation 
amongst the greats in the game, period. Do we need to include him when we talk about Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and whomever else you consider to be the best players in the game, period? You know, it's, as we were, we were kids, you know, we used to run around playing street hockey and we dreamed about winning the Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, and, and that's how it starts, right? You, uh, you know, and if you're very fortunate, you know, you, you get good coaches through your minor hockey. And then eventually, uh, you know, you get fortunate and, you, and your skills grow and your passion for the game grows. And as this funnel of players come together to move into the higher levels of AAA and then junior A and then into the colleges and junior ranks, and the players just keep getting bigger, stronger, better, and you continue to keep moving up. Uh, you know, your dreams of winning the Stanley Cup. But I can tell you right now, I never sat in my bed at night or I was never outside and said, I want to win the Stanley Cup, the Conn Smythe, and the Norris all in a matter of days. <laughs> that has never entered my Like, that is like a stick of dynamite going off. Like, you couldn't even, like, that would be utter, like, stupidity to think that. And, and, to, and to see what he just accomplished is absolutely incredible. Uh, my wife and I were sitting on in, in our screen porch watching the game last night, and and uh, and you know we're, we're you know we're all we're all because we lived in the game the two of us uh, for quite some time. You know we're just so happy for the players um, to see them have this euphoria of winning because we know how hard it is. I never had a chance to win it. I, I you know I went to the finals and semifinals and and lost, and the disappointment still is in my body. I can't get rid of it. I never will. But I do have a happiness now. I've gotten over my negativity. I have a happiness for the people that are winning it. And to see, you never see the players like, like when you see the players talk, I mean, and you see Makar talk and you see him there with his family, uh, you know, the, the NHL has to be extremely proud of all these guys reaching their moment and all they can do is talk about other people and what other people meant to them and, and how they were fighting for someone else. And although it was important to them, it meant something. And for Kale McCarr to come in here and have the abilities and the skill sets that he has and, and to still be in the middle of something where he's trying to prove and, and step into his legacy and what is expected of him and what he can do with that, it was important to him to see these veteran guys win. And that speaks volumes for Kale McCarr. Uh, you know, I'm really happy to, to, to see a defenseman uh, of his talent get rewarded with the Conn Smythe uh, and also um, the Norris Trophy. I mean, there were some good players. There are no slouches in Hedman and Roman Yossi, I'll tell you that, uh, the years that they've had and Yossi had. But uh, this kid is, is dynamic. Him and Fox are two dynamic guys that can really – can really change a game uh, and really operate and create and, and control pace of game. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I think the sky's the limit. I think, yeah, he certainly – it's hard to go position to position like Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, you know, McDavid, uh, Crosby, Dreisaitl. Then you go, you know, Makar and Fox and Riosi. Like, like it's hard mm-hmm. to go position to position and look at great players when the greatest players of our times – um, you know, or you know, the Gordy Howes and the and the Morris Richard, Morris the Rocket Richard, and then you look at Wayne Gretzky and Lemieux, and and then Crosby and you know Malkin. You go through the list of names. You know, you got to get to Bobby Orr. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Bobby Orr is the is the waterline. You know, and then you got Bork and Lidstrom, and you start going through it all. But Kale McCarr is creating conversation at 23 years old in a game that is so hard to play. I, I think to, to be at the level these guys are at and how they operate through 
the, the severe hard back pressure. There's not a lot of space on the ice to operate. And to be able to create the space that he does for himself is an art form. And uh, I really think the sky's the limit. If he can stay healthy, um, you know, I really believe he will go down as, 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 as one of the greats. But there is, Jeff, a sample size, right? I mean, I mean, these guys that we talk about, the Lichstroms, the Borks, the Oars, did, you know, did it over a long, long period of time. So yep. he still has that to continue to do. But there's no doubt in my mind he's more than capable of doing it. Uh, I don't see a problem with that. You know, I will say that I thought his play in the last few games – he started to look a bit worn down a little bit, which is understandable. But then there was a shot of him sitting in the locker room. I don't know if you remember this. There was a camera in their locker room between the second and third period where they, you know, they have those little in-dressing room shots. Yeah. And I could see that his hand was taped up. His left hand had quite a bit of tape on it in around the wrist and around the thumb area. And I do think that some of the bobbles that we saw happening in that game last night were a result of he's got something going on with that left hand or wrist. And, um, you know, I, I don't think those type of pictures are supposed to get on the air. I think that was the bit he was sitting there with his glove off, uh, whatever. Uh, and after the game, there was no doubt when he was handling the cup and things, you could see the tape on his hand. So everybody in the playoffs gets banged up, right? But I really believe that some of the baubles we were seeing, some of the little turnovers and some of the pucks rolling off his stick and stuff might have had something to do there was something going on with that hand because they were really yeah. uncharacteristic of him. But, uh, man, he logged a ton of minutes, oh. and he's played some wonderful hockey, boy. It, 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 the amount of minutes he's logged to play as good as he has is, is mind-boggling. And as much as I think he might be the best, I mean, the way that I've been putting it, Gary, is escape artist. Like when he's in his own zone and there's a four-checker on him or a couple of guys on him, the way he's able to escape uh, and, and, and find a way out, I mean, it's, it's Houdini-esque. Like the way that he's able to do that with a couple of shoulder fakes, and we all know what he can do with his feet. To the to the point about about playing hurt. Like by this time of year, Gary, I assume that everybody is at least hurt. That that nobody. Like there's various degrees of it. Some guys are flirting with that line between being hurt and being injured. Like I'm not sure if you've seen that picture that uh, that's on Instagram of Larry Nachushkin's foot. It is a mess. I can't believe that. A, he got that into a boot and B, skated uh, the way that he did. But that's, you know, the the story of elite-level athletes at this level uh, competing for the Stanley Cup. Um, I just kind of assume that everybody is, uh, is, is hurt going into the Stanley Cup final. And I'm more shocked to find out that someone comes out of it just fine. What about you? I would agree. I think every player has some, some form of, of bump, bruise, injury. Um, if, if you haven't, you have an anteed in. I mean, you know, I mean, anybody who fully anties in, uh, when you see uh, Stamco stick his foot out, uh, oh. and you know a player blocks a shot, but when you stick your foot out like that, it is very vulnerable. And he didn't even think twice. And you look at Landeskog did it when his blade broke, and guys are sliding, and, and uh, it's a reckless abandon that is just, the fear of letting your teammates down at this particular juncture is heart-wrenching to you that you just will never do it. It's the fear of it. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, it's one of the great things of the National Hockey League. It's one of the great things that you can ever be a part of as a team sport where everybody is pulling on the rope the same way. It's an incredible thing to see, and it's amazing what you can do as a group uh, when you do that. The sky's the limit. Uh, the, the Colorado Avalanche... Um, you know, I mean, 
first of all, give full props to Tampa Bay. To go into Colorado and gut out game five was something special. And they did it in such a fashion that I don't know if they had much left for game six. They came out and they gave it all in the first few minutes, the first half of the first period. They got the lead. But really, at the end of the day, without a healthy Braden Point, without a healthy Sorelli, without a healthy couple of other guys, they really got down to one line. And could that one line light it up in game six enough to win the game uh, 2-1, to 3-2, whereas Colorado really could win it 2-1, they could win it 5-4. They're a team that could, could do the damage, whereas Tampa couldn't. They had to get it to a 1-0, 2-1 game, and uh, full credit to Colorado. Uh, they came out in the second and third period, and the amount of time that Tampa was spending in their end for long periods of time where you saw the shift charts come up and a minute and a half, minute and 50, two minutes, whatever, those are taxing, taxing shifts late in the series of a Stanley Cup final and a team that has won 11 consecutive series in the playoffs. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, unfortunately, just couldn't find the gas uh, to get up to the level that Colorado was at and uh, and still required a big save by Kemper on Kucherov. <laughs> and, uh, and for a guy like Darcy Kemper, who a lot of people have questioned, and a lot of people like come out and say, well, it looks like Darcy Kemper is going to be the starter of game six. I'm like, are you people kidding me? Like, of course he's going to be the starter. I think that's crazy to even think that. Well, he had a couple of bad goals, whatever. I mean, to see him make that save uh, at that point, I was really happy for him, you know, to, to win the cup and know that, you know, he, he made a big save when it counted. And, and I think he deserves a lot more credit than, than people are giving him. And, uh, but what a, what a wonderful team and, Happy for the veteran guys. Happy for Joe Sackick. Happy for Jared Bednar, one of the real nice guys you'll meet around the game. Um, you know, and a guy that really came into a team after Patrick Waugh and things didn't go so good to start and then got the team going. And then last year against Vegas, uh, they had that terrible tilt uh, that just went the wrong direction and things fell apart. And to be able to regroup from that and somewhat similar to what Tampa did with Columbus. Uh, to regroup from that and find it all in a calendar year, uh, it's quite it's quite nice to see. What did you make of Tampa's performance through these playoffs? Like there, there were t- like I just continued to refuse to count them out. Like even as like I'll tell you, even as the Stanley Cup is getting handed out, I'm still like, eh, Tampa can make this a series. Like that's how much I just refuse <laughs> to give up to give up on Tampa. Like at every single turn, this like they would go down, you know, two two games to nothing against the Rangers, and uh oh, is this going to be the end of the run? Has have have all the injuries caught up to to Tampa? All the games that they've played, all the the time that they've spent on the has it finally caught up to the Tampa Bay Lightning? And then they overcome, and then Vasilevsky gets on a heater, and, and then it's over. And you know, Stamkos goes next level, Kucherov, Sorelli. Um, what what did you make of Tampa's run here? Is their 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 quest for a third Stanley Cup falls two wins short? Uh, you know what? I thought it was incredible. I mean, I, I played eleven hundred and fifty games approximately in the in the league, and I can tell you right now, I wanted to see a three peat, but at the same time, I was really concerned that if Colorado didn't win, this was too much to sustain. They had already gone through their, their you know their kicking the cajones. They had already felt terrible like you know and 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 for them to be this close up three to one and to lose it i think would have been too much to handle i don't know if they could have recovered from that again 
Um, it might have been different, you know, if Kadri doesn't come back and things change. You know, I, I just really think this was their time, and, uh, and it needed to be their time. And even though they lost game five and, and whatever in game six, they found a way to come back and shut down them and win that game in the fashion that a Stanley Cup champion does. And that's what Tampa Bay couldn't do. They couldn't sustain. They couldn't keep going. So you got to tip your hat to Colorado. But go back to Tampa Bay. I mean, mm-hmm. this wasn't an easy run for them. You know, oh. you're, in your third, you're in your third run, and this is a grind. I mean, this is a team that is grinding it out and grinding it out and getting down and then coming back and winning a series. And people thought when New York went up 2 nothing, that was it. And I'd say, oh, don't count them out. Don't count them out. And then, and then, you know, then whammo, they do it to New York. And, um, you know, I thought the two overtime games in the finals, with Tampa not winning either one of them, I thought that was a bad sign. I thought that they needed to win one of those overtime games to make this a longer series. And uh, when they didn't, I felt like things are just falling in the way of, 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 of Colorado. But, boy, oh, boy, what a what – a, and John Cooper said it right last night. He hopes that this team – and this team should go down in history as one of the great teams. Uh, 11 consecutive series won. What can you say? And, and, you know, you would think – I know I don't think this, but I know there are people out there that see Maroon on there upset and they see Stamkos. They go, come on, guys, you, Maroon just won three cups and you just won – that's not what it's about. The amount of effort and emotion and the, and the fabric of your soul that you put into trying to win the Stanley Cup is everything that you have. When you look at a player starting in training camp and you see him at the end of a Stanley Cup run, they look like they're ill. Everything is drawn. They've lost tons mm-hmm. of weight. Their bodies are beat up. You put in every fabric of you have. I don't care. When it slips out of your grasp, it is painstakingly hard. You can't not imagine how much pain you feel when that happens. Uh, you've seen Corey Perry's wife crying in the stands. Like It, yeah. is, it is heart-wrenching. Your heart goes out to them because they left it all there. They left every single bit they had. There's not a bit left on the table, that not even a morsel uh, for a mouse to grab. They left it all and um, they should be nothing but proud. Their fans are proud of them. Uh, the management and coaching staff couldn't ask for more. I know it stings, and it's going to sting for a little bit, but uh, they're a special team with special players, and uh, you know, certainly uh, my heart goes out to them today. Uh, and you know what? At the end of it, too, we can see them getting right back to the Stanley Cup final next season. I don't think that would surprise anyone, even though we know that Julian Breezewell has some decisions to make here, and trying to get everybody back and fit them under the salary cap, which has been flat now for three years, is going to be a huge challenge. We shall see. Um, really thorough stuff. Listen, uh, really happy for your family and the Richardsons. We know how tight uh, the two families are. Really happy for you guys. Um, and, Gary, always appreciate you coming on, pal. You're, you're one of the best. I really enjoy our conversations. Uh, great season. Uh, enjoy the summertime, and we'll catch up in the fall. Always a pleasure, Jeff. Uh, have a great summer, and... Uh... We'll, we'll, we'll blink our eyes and we'll be right back at her. <laughs> I know, right? A couple of sleeps and, oh, here we go, training camp. Uh, thanks, Gary. Be well. All right. Take care. Gary Galley from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. It will be intriguing to see which version 
of the Tampa Bay Lightning we see next year. Well, just as an aside, too, really quickly, as I think Gary mentioned something there that I, I think deserves fleshing out here a little bit. There were a couple of teams that we looked at at the beginning of the playoffs and said, oh, boy, if these teams are going to get to the Stanley Cup final, regardless of you know the idea of winning the Stanley Cup final, because I don't think you can always you can expect a team to get there or you can expect a team to win, but sometimes the expectations are, and I think legitimately, get to the Stanley Cup final. There were four teams that we looked at and said, if these four teams are going to get to the final, it's going to be murder getting there. And the two in the West were the Minnesota Wild and the St. Louis Blues, who met in the first round. If either of those two would have made it to the Stanley Cup final, the road there would have been tough. And the other two that we looked at in the East and said, if these two teams get there, man, it's going to be a murderer's row they have to knock down, was Toronto and Tampa. Those were the two. Now, they knocked off Toronto in the first round. Uh, in a series where they were pushed and they were against the ropes, but the Maple Leafs could not deliver the knockout blow. And then they faced a Florida Panthers team, which was, I I don't want to say they were outgunned as much as they were outmaneuvered. Like that was a really great job of coaching uh, done by John Cooper. Then it was the upstart Rangers with, and I know Elliot disagrees with me, the best goaltender in the world right now in Igor Shosturkin. And the Rangers had them. Up two games, up 2 nothing in the third game, only to watch Tampa score three goals, including a beauty from Andre Palat, and all of a sudden Tampa's back in this thing. But that's a really tough road Tampa had to take to get there. And you always talk about, you know, along the way you need some help. Like, if you have to go, you know, three seven-game series, by the time you get to the Stanley Cup final, it's not impossible, right? It is it is doable, technically. But if you're going to have anything left for the Stanley Cup final, you got to have a, at least one sweep along the way, don't you? You have to have one, quote-unquote, easy series or a series where you did your business quickly and efficiently and we saw the st louis blues push the colorado avalanche uh we saw the oilers give it the college try but that didn't work out and we saw what happened in the first round with the national predators uh colorado skated circles all over them so i'm not taking anything away from colorado all you can do is win the games you're supposed to win beat the teams that are placed in front of you And Colorado did that all playoff long and then knocked off the defending two-time Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. That is not an easy thing to do. That is certainly commendable. But the teams we looked at and said, if they're going to get there, it's going to be tough. Tampa, Toronto, Minnesota, St. Louis, one of those four made it, and it's a Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, Elliot brings up the point on the podcast too. And I'm thinking a lot about this today. Which version of Tampa do we see next season? Because coming off that year where they flamed out against Columbus in the opening round, getting swept, and then there were all those rumors of the Vancouver draft. Coming off that one, the um, there seemed to be a change in attitude around the organization. 
and there wasn't a belief anymore that we have to be the top team in the NHL. We have to win the President's Trophy. We have to be the top dog. The feeling changed from that to we just need to get in. We're a really good team. We know we're a really good team. We have some of the most elite players in the world right now on this team. What we need is to not burn ourselves out over 82 games, but rather pace ourselves through 82 games and then show up in the playoffs, and that's when we'll do our damage. How many times have you asked you have you ever asked anyone, hey, who won the President's Trophy that year? I'm going to guess the answer is pretty close to never. But I'm pretty sure you asked, oh, yeah, who won the Stanley Cup that year? And Tampa now after having won two Stanley Cups, gone to the Stanley Cup final, still has key pieces in place. You know, Braden Point will be healthy next season. Everybody will be healed up by next season. Andre Vasilevsky, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli, Braden Point, as just mentioned. Uh, we'll see what happens with Andre Palat. He's going to be a tough one to keep. That would take some flat salary cap wizardry from Julian Brisebois to keep him. But Elliot brings up the point on the latest podcast that would you be surprised if this is a team that comes back next season angry? Angry about what happened. That they squandered their chance to win three Stanley Cups in a row and just come back and lay waste to the NHL to start the season. You know, Tampa in the past couple of seasons you know, haven't been very concerned at all about the div- winning the division, eh, who cares? Winning the President's Trophy, eh, let someone else do it, who cares? We're here for the Stanley Cup. I wonder what happens to them psychologically now. Now that they lost in the final. Did they come back just wanting to destroy the league? Or is it more business as usual? We're pacing ourselves through 82 games And you better hope you don't face us in the playoffs because we will damage you. Curious to see which Tampa squad shows up next year, how they play. We'll uh, turn our attention next to the American Hockey League, another league that's near and dear to our hearts. Um, Ryan Warsofsky is the head coach of the Chicago Wolves. Uh, This year's winners of the Calder Cup, top team in uh, in the American Hockey League. Uh, and a team that, whether you're a fan of the Maple Leafs, maybe the Vancouver Canucks, you'll know this name, led by playoff MVP Josh Levo, 29 points in 18 games. 15 of those points were goals. Uh, we'll talk to Ryan Wasowski here in a couple of moments about his Wolves, uh, what's next for him and some of the players on his successful team, the Chicago Wolves, which, by the way, before Bill Wirtz, uh, passed on. There was that rivalry in Chicago between the Chicago Wolves and the Chicago Blackhawks and the Wolves would like nothing more than sticking it to the Chicago Blackhawks where it would be an empty arena in Chicago. The Wolves would pack the place and they'd have the have the games on television. It was a fun little in-city hockey rivalry between two, two Chicago hockey teams um, albeit in different leagues uh, but Chicago's always been an interesting squad. You know, traditionally they were always the ones that, you know, as an independent, you know, would essentially spend a lot of money on players, bringing them in. 
um, hired guns, hired AHL players. Things are different now, but I think a lot of us have always had a soft spot for the Wolves. We'll talk to their head coach, Ryan Wasofsky, here in a couple of moments. Uh, we turn from the NHL to the AHL as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. I'm going to uh, shift our focus here from the NHL. And once again, congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche, winners of the Stanley Cup, to the American Hockey League and the Chicago Wolves, winners of the Calder Cup. Their head coach is Ryan Worsofsky, and he joins me now. Ryan, thanks so much for doing this, and congratulations, Coach. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. Uh, the the the, uh, the pleasure is all mine. I, 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 want, to give, I want you to give us a sort of snapshot of the Chicago Wolves here because you know for the longest time this was a team that you know as a as an independent a lot of people I know I certainly did you know associated them with you know a team that would bring in like the Brett Sterlings and Darren Hadars and Steve Maltes and like guys that were making like a really healthy salary almost like hired guns uh, around the American Hockey League and they would win championships and always competitive and they would outdraw the Chicago Blackhawks and they'd put their games on television. It was like a head-to-head rivalry between the Wolves and the and the yeah. Hawks. What are, what are the Wolves like now? Give us a snapshot here. Yeah, I think uh, obviously, like you said, it's a rich history of winning and um, I think it's contagious. I, I think, you know, when, when I got here and our staff got here from Charlotte, it was um, obviously an adjustment, but um, you see the history of winning and the guys that have played here and um, they want to win, um, which I think is important. And, um, you know, working for Carolina, it's um, part of it is developing the players and the young prospects. And um, we had a, a good mix of some of those older guys that have played a lot of, a lot of games on the National Hockey League and, and Stephen Nason and Lebo and, and Richard Potek. And um, then we had some really good young prospects, you know, Kochikov and Ned and Jack Drury and, you know, Jamison Reese that are um, – you know, some guys that are trying to find their way a little bit. And um, we had a really good blend of, of, of players. And I think everyone bought into the common goal of winning. And, and I think winning breeds development, as, as does development brings, um, you know, winning. And that's what's something we're trying to, to breed into the Carolina Hurricanes organization for Roddy and, and his staff up in Carolina. You know, you just mentioned someone that, uh, boy, I've watched a lot of hockey from, and that's Jamison Reese. Uh, you know, young player, 20 years old. I watched him play in the in the, the GTHL. I watched him play in the, the OHL Cup. Watched him play with Sarnia's thing uh, of the Ontario Hockey League as well. Like, how do you, uh, on the one hand, you, you, of course you want to win. And so I can understand, like, okay, Levo's getting big minutes. Nason's getting big minutes. These types of players. How do you start to blend in, though, players like Jamison Reese? Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously a challenge at times because the, the intensity um, r- rises up with every playoff game in a series, just like it is in the NHL. And uh, as you go deeper, the, the moment gets a little bit bigger. And you have to manage that as a, as a staff and as a coach to, um, you know, what, what, who we think is, is ready for what moment and who do you trust in the ice the most. And, um, you know, Jameson Reese, you know, I thought he had an up-and-down year. He had, um, a really good training camp in Carolina. One of their last cuts gets injured. Um, you know, comes to us has a slow start, finds his game later in the second half of the season, and um, he's just going through a moment in his career where 
he's learning and, and this is all part of his his journey and, and everyone's different right and i think um you know jameson reese's uh journey to the national hockey league is different than jack Drury's, and jack Drury's will be different than you know ponomarov's and, and and so forth so um everyone gets to the league in a different uh, different time and a different in a different way and some guys take longer than others and and, and reese's uh, I think he's a work in progress. He's learning. This is going uh, obviously a little bit of up and down start of his career with COVID and whatnot. So, um, you know, he was put in roles, you know, if you take COVID out, this is his, really his rookie year. and um, He's got a bright future. Uh, he's a great kid. He wants to get better. Um, and, and he just, he had a great experience of winning a championship that he can, no one can take away from him. Um, the other thing, you know, one of the things like the, the minute the minute your team won and you beat Springfield, a lot of the a lot of the social media buzz, certainly a lot of it was about Josh Levo and playoffs MVP, etc. But there was a lot of sort of outpouring about netminder Alex Lyon, uh, who's been around the game for for a real long time. There's a lot of like, well, I'm really happy that Alex Lyon got one. Well, we're really we're thrilled that that Lyon got the uh, the payoff here. Were there a um, and I know the. I know, I know the coach answer is, I'm happy for everybody, so let's get that out of the way. <laughs> but were there a couple of players that you were, let's say, really happy for when you guys won the Calder Cup? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, Alex, for sure, I think, you know, him and I talked a lot throughout the season, and he is as much as is like, hey, I want to win. I, I want to win. doesn't matter who's in that, but I want to win. You know, those guys that have been around that haven't had a chance to win, um, you know, are, are excited for the opportunity and him in particular, you know, we got Koshikov who's a top prospect for Carolina and is probably be the goalie of the future. And for him to step aside, he's been our guy for day one and then get Koshikov from the KHL and, you know, really didn't affect him at all. You know, he wins game five for us and ultimately wins call the cup. Uh, they do it together, but um, you know, there's a lot of guys, Kevin Fitzgerald, who, you know, is a, a kind of a guy that kind of goes unnoticed, but his plays through injuries like I've never seen before, like, you know, he's going to need surgery on two surgeries potentially and um, grind it through the playoffs. And um, he didn't, didn't affect him, didn't complain, just kept playing, puts his, puts, puts the work in, um, you know, Steph Nason, another guy that's been around a long time um, and is a, you know, super competitive person and really wanted to win day one and could have complained and, and been upset, but not being in Carolina in the NHL and came down, Again, same thing, didn't complain, just worked, wanted to help the younger players and, and, and win a championship. So there's a lot of guys that could go sit here all day and, and, and talk about all of them, but um, they did it together and, and they played for each other, and that's the most important part of the, the whole thing. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Kuchetkov was the goaltender who had to, I mean, I, I think the, his, his glove comes from Russia. It's a, a non-licensed glove in the NHL, so he had to wear the, the black tape on it when he got called up to Carolina. I think Kay Whitmore, Kay Whitmore had to approve it before he was able to play with it. It might have been the stinkiest piece of equipment that Whitmore uh, ever had to approve because he's not getting it fresh. He's getting it already game used uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to approve. Did, did the coach ever look at the goaltender and kind of say, what is that thing on your hand there? No, I know we had some, we did have some issues with his equipment and getting them from the KHL and getting it all improved. And, you know, Carolina worked through all that, but uh, I don't think we ever talked about, you know, the black tape on the glove. 
<laughs> I'm just that petty. Like that's you have to understand that. Like this is the, the minutia of hockey. So, wh- wh- like, where? Because listen, we we saw him play. We all know about the Carolina goaltending situation with the injuries. Uh, and I think you're right. Like Kuchetkov is going to be, you know, the goaltender of the future. Really bright future on the horizon um, for this young goaltender. Um, where do you see him in his development? Like, if I'm a Hurricanes fan uh, and I'm listening to his AHL coach talk today, Ryan, I'm what I want to know is like, how far away do you think this guy is? I think, um, well, I'll say this. I, the last two games that we just saw him play, and I think it was games three and four, were the best I've seen him play. And mm. it was, um, I thought he was a lot calmer than that. I think when he gets sprawled uh, a little bit and gets wide and gets moving too much is when he gets least, is least effective because he's just such a big body. So um, I think the last two games he was a lot calmer than that. Um, he can also play the puck extremely well. Uh, when he's not trying to do too much, um, yeah, I think it also helps his game a little bit. So I think he's a you know a big time gamer. He wants the moment. He, he loves the moment. Um, I think it's not too long. We're not looking at years here. We're looking at you know probably some months in the American League that we'll need to continue to you know refine his game a little bit, get a little bit more structured. But um, you know he's got a really bright future. He's an unbelievable kid. Tries to work on his English. Even though it's not great, he um, he wants to speak in English with you to try to get better at it. So, um, just an unbelievable kid. Teammates love him, and again, like I said, he's gonna have a really, really bright future. Did you uh, did you see the highlights of him going head to head, face to face with Brad Marchand, the Boston Bruins? Yes, I did. It's funny after the game, we had, we joked about it a little bit. He, he just has no fear. This is who he is, and um, you know he's got that star mentality, honestly, with him. Um, I, I want to ask you about the East Coast. Uh, I almost called the East Coast Hockey League. hasn't been called that for a long time. The ECHL, though. I want to ask you about yeah. the ECHL because we just saw Jared Bednar win uh, the Stanley Cup. You've won the Calder Cup. Same season. Uh, two ECHL alum win it. Uh, I was reminded over the weekend about uh, Peter Laviolette in 2006 with Carolina. At the same time, that season, Bruce Boudreaux, who had also coached the ECHL, won the Calder Cup with Hershey Bears uh, of the American Hockey League. So history's kind of repeating itself here. Um, do you have a thought or two of your time with the uh, South Carolina Stingrays and coaching in the ECHL? Yeah, um, that's where it all started for me. And um, it's a great organization. It's a great place to live. Obviously, the history of, of coaches that have came through there from, from Bedsy and Kale McLean is an assistant in Calgary and Spencer Carberry, who's in Toronto, um, you know, who I worked for for three years. That's where I learned, you know, pro hockey. That's where I kind of grew as a, not just as a coach, but as a person. And, you know, it's a little fraternity of coaches down there that, you know, we talk a lot and stay in touch with each other, learn from each other. You know, I've learned a lot from Bedsy and Kale and Carbs over the years that have kind of molded me to who, who I am as a coach. And, you know, we got a great president down there who's been down there for, 20 plus years and Robbie Kincannon, who's, you know, really looked after us. He's traveling around watching Betsy in Colorado and came to Springfield to watch her. He, he just gets up and goes and supports us. And, um, he's given me my chance. So I, I'm obviously forever grateful to him and carbs to, um, to help me. And then just put me in the situation to, to learn from, you know, Jared Bednar and, and Kale has, has been just a, um, an awesome experience for me. And again, it's, it's kind of brought me to who I am today and, I'm not, you know, taking that job to go to South Carolina and um, start from the bottom and work my way up. I'm probably not here today, that's for sure. 
Those are uh, those are excellent words and excellent points, um, Ryan. Uh, I, I am curious too because whenever you win a championship at any level, um, it tends to put you in different conversations. Uh, so you win the Calder Cup here, all of a sudden we know there's a you know major coaching carousel happening in the NHL, not just for head coaches but assistant coaches as well. Um, anything for you there at this point? Do you think, Ryan, NHL wise? Um. Yeah, you know, obviously you have your dreams and uh, aspirations to get to the National Hockey League, and um, you know some teams have, have reached out to, to, to talk, and um, at some point we'll we'll sit down and, and figure that out. But you know, I'm just kind of focusing on you know, and I say it all the time, just focus on today and where be where my feet are. And um, right now I'm the head coach of Chicago Wolves, and I work with Carolina to help develop their prospects and win some hockey games along the way. And if an opportunity presents itself that that makes sense for you know my family and and and, and my future. Then that's something we'll sit down and look at. But um, you know, I, I just got to focus on where I am. I've never been one that's gone out job hunting and try to network. It's just not who I am as a person. And if someone thinks um, I'm doing a good job and uh, they they want to talk about something, an opportunity, then yeah, I'm all ears. But until that moment comes, and I'm just going to focus on today. Winning creates buzz, right? And now your your name is in yeah. uh, very much very much in that community. Uh, let let me ask you one one final thing, and I'll let you get on with your day. Um, I think a lot of us who watched Josh Levo play at the NHL level, whether it was you know out of favor with a coach or a knee injury, always said, "Man, this guy, if he could just get it all together, could be a really impactful player." Uh, at the National Hockey League level, playoff MVP for the uh, the Calder Cup winning Chicago Wolves. Uh, let's conclude with a thought. Uh, the coach on the player, your thoughts on Josh Levo? Uh, great, great guy. Great guy, great player for us. Um, you know, we're, we hope we kind of redeveloped his career a little bit. Um, you know, he's a player, like you said, and, and people have said in the past, when he is going, he is a difference oh, yeah. maker, and he was going in our playoffs. Um, you know, I think the big thing with Josh and I was getting him to be a little bit more consistent. Um, you know, I, I, and I think that, you know, we saw a big change in him in the playoffs, not just points and, and goals wise, you know, he was the last, you know, he was on the ice with a, with a minute left, but the goal he pulled, you know, he's on the ice with the, uh, extra attack. Like he's in playing in, in huge moments, penalty kill power play. He was our guy. And, um, you know, Josh, I had a lot of conversations throughout the year um, to get him back to the National Hockey League and get his name back on the map. And, you know, I think we did a good job of that, of, you know, meeting some common ground and, and, and finding a way to, to get him to play his best hockey when it mattered most. And he did that in the playoffs. And uh, your team was a beneficiary of all of it. Listen, uh, great job. Congratulations. Uh, Calder Cup champion, Chicago Wolves. Uh, Ryan, we wish you the best this offseason, whatever this offseason brings. Uh, thanks so, uh, so much for spending a little bit of time with me today. I really appreciate it. And once again, congrats. Like, that's, a, that's a really cool thing on the resume, man. That's, that's very cool. Thank you. Thank you very much. appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. Uh, Ryan Worsofsky is Chicago Wolves head coach of the American Hockey League winners this year of the Calder Cup. We uh, we thank him for coming aboard, and we thank the Chicago Wolves for making him available. A couple of minutes here, wrapping up the program. Matt Marchese, you've been uh, all too silent because I've been sucking up all the oxygen over the last two hours. Uh, but in the, what, minute left that we have here on the program, what did you make of last night, bud? Yeah, it was... 
I really did think Tampa was going to pull it off, especially after the the Stamkos goal in the first. And I'm just looking at it going, <laughs> did, I'm like, eh? we're we're you going bet. to seven, we're going to seven. And as a producer, I would love it for, to go to seven because it gives us something else to talk about. But um, no, you know what? The the Avalanche were just the far superior team. They're just they're so good. Um, but I did I did tweet something today that I that uh, of course I found amusing. But you know the copycat league thing, and I said. Well, the Colorado Avalanche have 13 former first rounders and two former second rounders. So good luck recreating that on your squad to try and win a Stanley Cup. (laughs) Yeah. So I I saw your tweet and my my first thought on it was there's no one way to win the Stanley Cup. Nope. You know, like if we go back like this, this Colorado team in some ways kind of well in spirit kind of reminds me of the 2006 Carolina Hurricanes. Because what was the lesson of the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006? Foot speed, foot speed, foot speed, foot speed. And that offseason, that's what everybody clamored for. And then 2007 came around and the Anaheim Ducks won. And all of a sudden it became team toughness and heavy hockey and team toughness. So, like, there's not, like, look at, look at how the Washington Capitals won the Stanley Cup. What's everyone talking about? Again, heavy hockey. Now Colorado wins. And we're talking about be the fastest team on the ice. Essentially what I'm saying, folks, there's no one way to win the Stanley Cup. There's no magical theory. There's no one magical way to do this thing. There's a lot of different ways you can play and be successful. Thanks to Ryan Worsowski for stopping by, Gary Galley, Peter Baugh, and Elliot Friedman, Matt Marchese, and our keyboard operator, Lance Kennedy. Back tomorrow.